0: Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times, plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Judge Michael Newman. He's the U.S. Magistrate Judge for the Southern District of Ohio and was, or is, the Judicial Ambassador for Civics for the Federal Bar Association. Judge Michael Newman, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Kevin. It's an honor to be on the show with you this afternoon. Thanks
0: so much. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I've never had a judge on the show before. And I I think you have kind of an interesting journey to how you got there. I think what you're doing now, especially with reaching out to young people and kind of getting them involved in all this stuff is really interesting and cool. But maybe before we kind of get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Sure. I come from a very small town in New Jersey called Heightstown, Okay. which is in the center of the state. And uh, it's near Princeton and Trenton and Cranberry. Those are the other towns and cities that are that are near us. And um, when people think about New Jersey now, in my experience, to think of large urban areas. And my experience was totally different than that, Kevin. Our town when I was a kid, it only had 5,000 people in it. Wow. It had uh, literally one traffic light. It had two dairy farms. Uh, we were way, way out in the country. And uh, it's funny, these things uh, that you experience in your life uh, that really have a big impact on you. I think growing up like that had a very, very a very big impact on me. Our, um, our, our town had a little newspaper okay. about five pages long called the Town Gazette and it had been run by the same family since the middle of the 1800s. Wow. And uh, some of the people in our small town had never been more than a half an hour outside of our town. They just never traveled anywhere. Wow. So which when I was younger, Kevin, I thought that was so interesting because New York city was an hour our North and Philadelphia was an hour to the South, two, two really huge cities, of course. Sure. And yet here we were kind of out in the country and, Some of the people, like me, I couldn't wait to go visit New York and and visit Philadelphia. My parents were very kind and took us in car. We made lots of car trips and did all the sorts of things you would think about doing in New York City, going to the plays and opera and going to the Empire State Building. And same with Philadelphia. But there were people in our town who never really went anywhere, and I just thought that's an interesting way of living your life. For me, I think the more people you meet and the more experiences you have, uh, the more you grow as a person, sure. I don't mean that in a negative way, but it, but I think growing up in that small town environment, seeing people in the small town who love being there, and it really has a still has a very much a place in my heart, uh, and I am very proud of being from there. But then also having these other experiences, like I lived for a short time in New York City, just a very different experience. And and when you kind of process that and put it all together, it uh, it it makes, you, it makes you who you are.
0: No, I, I 100% agree. I, I think it's interesting, um, to your point, like when people gr- born and raised don't really travel that far out of that you know small town. It, it always kind of fascinates me that they don't really seem to have any desire to, to leave or travel. I don't know. It's I like to travel, so it's a little bit foreign to me, but I guess whatever works for people, right? So no, that's cool. So I'm curious, though, you obviously went to university where did you go, and and what got you passionate about going into law?
1: Oh, so, all right. So a, a, couple, a couple of questions there. Um, I did go to NYU, New York University in, uh, in Manhattan, and uh, I went to the film program, the film school, okay. which uh, I loved a lot. Uh, I've always had a passion for photography, and um, that's what led me to it, and I like to write. So, so really, if you think about it, filmmaking was kind of a – natural extension of that. Sure. But my dad was a warrior. Uh my he um my parents were poor, quite frankly. Uh my mom never went to college. Okay. And my dad did go, but he but but he went because he was able to work his way through college. He went to the University of Cincinnati and on a co op engineering program back in the nineteen thirties and then he stopped his education for for World War ii and then after World War Two came back that he served in the Navy and uh, then came back and finished his education. So my parents were not wealthy people at all. My dad, because of a job, ended up in New Jersey, and then he met my mom. And then my dad, uh, after World War II, had gone off to to law school.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So here I am, a, a kid in a small town in New Jersey, and I really had a passion for photography and writing. And my parents, who were, you know, pretty straight-laced people, and I think partially that's because of their upbringing and, and you know, having survived the Great Depression or World sure. War Two. And they said if that if it really is what your heart's desire, we will support you to go to film school. Uh, just be sure you take other courses as well so that if the film thing doesn't work out, you've got something to uh, fall back on, which I agree that made perfect sense to me. So I did go to film school, made a couple of short films uh, while I was there, and then had an agent who invited me to go uh, live in California. So I live in California for a year in Los Angeles. And okay. uh spent a, a lot of time doing writing, work out there. And the truth is, the people in Los Angeles were nice. I just felt like I didn't think show business, was, for my personality, was where I belonged, to be frank with you. Sure. And every day that I was in California, I thought, you know, I think I should have gone to law school. So I'm sure there's lots of other people who show business is the perfect fit. And I applaud them, and I love the photography part of it. But for me, I felt this pull to to go to law school. And I think, you know, each of us are different people. To me, fairness and justice have always been very, very important. And even when I was a kid uh, in our little small town of Jersey, when I saw instances where, where I thought um, injustice was, was happening, I, I felt compelled to stand up and, and, and try to do something about it. And I think when I was in California, I just thought, you know, I think I could have a great career in show business, which would be awesome. But the truth is, I think there's this deeper pull, and that and that really drove me to go to law school. So I went to American University in uh, Washington D.C. Okay, and uh, I loved it. It was a great school. And when I came out, uh, I had a chance to uh, clerk for a federal judge in um, in Ohio, in Cincinnati. He's a magistrate judge like me. His okay. name is Jack Sherman Jr. He's now retired. A wonderful person. And I remember talking to my parents and they said, you know, you have a chance to be in Ohio. You're going to love Cincinnati where he was. And they thought uh, from everything I would said, Judge Sherman seemed like a great person. And so I went thinking that I'd be in Cincinnati for a year or two or three. And it turned out Judge Sherman and I just really hit it off. And uh, if you can have, if you're lucky enough to have a mentor in life, and I've had many, but if you can lucky enough to really hit it off with a mentor, uh, my advice is savor every minute of you can. And Judge Sherman was really, really a wonderful mentor to me. He remains a very good friend to this day. And uh, after Judge Sherman, I got a chance to clerk for another judge, uh, Nathaniel Jones, who's very influential in the civil rights movement in America.
0: Interesting. And yep.
1: another mentor, another friend. And they, they both were very, very kind to me, and they took me under their wing in ways that I don't think they really had to, but but they influenced me a lot. And I just, I'm I'm very grateful to both of them. And I think having that experience where you're with them every day and you're drafting opinions and you're doing research and you're seeing from the inside how cases get decided, um, that's just invaluable experience. And I'm always telling law students, if you get a chance to clerk for a state or a federal judge, grab the opportunity because it's a it's a really it's the rare it's when the curtain gets pulled back and you see how the court system works and you won't really get that opportunity otherwise and if you want to be a judge like i thought someday i'd like to be a judge there's no better training than 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 getting that experience
0: sure so how did you go from kind of working for a judge to actually becoming a judge yourself like what's the process for that
1: well, it was a long and kind of tortured process, I'll be honest with you. There are some people in life who I think doors just open for very okay, easily, sure. and I've never been one of those people. For In my life experience, everything has always been more of the, the school of hard knocks, and sometimes you have to try multiple times. I, I wanted very, very much to be a judge for a long time, but I, but I also knew you'd have to have uh, the politics would have to work out. Uh, people would have to see what your different talents were. Um, you know, there's it, here in Ohio, it's a very, very competitive process, certainly understandably. And so what happened, uh, what happened in my case is I clerked for many years and then I went to a law firm in uh, downtown Cincinnati named Dinsmore and Shoal. And uh, I get, I had some great mentors at Dinsmore, uh, George Vinson, who was a managing partner, Mike Hawkins, who was a, in the labor and employment department. And I think I started to shine, uh, quite frankly, when I was there and I got to litigate cases and I found that I just really liked to litigate because I was a zealous advocate, but at the same time, because of all the court experience I had, I was really preoccupied with fairness and justice and making sure the law was uh, applied correctly. That led to me doing a lot of work in the federal bar association, which is what I had already been involved with, but it really kind of brought me to the forefront of, of folks and then locally and then uh, later uh, nationally. So I got in these national leadership roles in the FBA pretty quickly. And then when I made when I made partner quickly at the Dinsmore firm in just in just three years, which is a short period of time. I think that that brought me to the attention of people. And they, I don't know, they never told this to me, but I kind of get the feeling people said, "Look, gosh, he's he made partner pretty quickly. He must uh, have a lot a lot uh, on the ball." And then I I did a lot of pro bono work, Kevin, and I okay. think that was that was really significant. So I had clerked on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. The Sixth Circuit asked me to do a case pro bono. This means you, you don't charge any money for it. And it was to represent someone who had been um, charged with a crime. He had been convicted. His appeals were exhausted. And now it was a uh, time for what is called his habeas corpus case. And I won that. And those are pretty hard to win.
0: Sure. And
1: once I won yeah. that case, uh, I think that was another instance where people, um, people said, hmm, you know, you must to, to win that and you must have a lot on the ball. And so that was that was, I think, the beginning of the process of um, that opened up a lot of doors for me, quite frankly. That's not why I took that case. But that led to uh, my law firm starting a whole program um, to do pro bono cases in the in the Court of Appeals. Uh, just that one win, because the court didn't want us to do more. I went to the managing partner and the managing partner said, well, Michael, if that's what you want to do, I fully support it. And we'll use it as a way to train young people. So I ended up training and working with lots of young people and mentoring them how to write appellate briefs, how to argue in the courts of appeals, and uh, particularly in what we call the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals here in, in Ohio. And I think that was the significant thing. And then based on all that work, plus the Federal Bar Association work that I had done, again, a lot of it to try to bring lawyers together and to really communicate and work with young people mentor young people i think uh when there was an opening for a magistrate judge uh, here in dayton ohio um the court asked me to to serve and i was very very honored to do so and um the court did ask me to move from cincinnati to uh to dayton back in 2011 when i got appointed and so i did my wife uh my wife is from the dayton area so it it was an easy transition we uh we have triplets, so the three girls, and uh, they're now 11, but they were four wow. at the
0: time. Sure. And so
1: the timing was right, Kevin, for us, to, for us to make that move, so it all worked out. But I, I really, really, really love being a judge. And I'll tell you, you know, I for some people it happens very easily and very quickly. Uh, uh, most people I know, it happens when you're in your 40s or maybe early 50s. Okay. Um, I think it's, a, it's kind of a dream of a lifetime, to be honest with you, because just think about it. You get to go to work every day get to apply the law fairly uh you get to decide cases and if you're like me and you and you really care i i care a lot about cases and i care a lot about people you really i think get to make a very a real substantive impact on people's lives in a good way sure and uh, um you know i if you think about okay what would you like to do with your life i can't think of anything better than i I'd like to do and i think that's just it's a significant way of, of giving back
0: like no I, think. I i think that's really great but i'm curious though is there is there certain types of cases that you work on like are they all criminal are they all like in a certain thing or, or how does that kind of work
1: sure so uh the kinds of cases that i hear i'm a magistrate judge so i can only sentence people to uh, uh prison if i do sentence them for a year or less on misdemeanors. Okay. So I hear many, many, many misdemeanors. We have a gigantic, a huge Air Force base, right? That Air Force base is located within 10 minutes of the courthouse. So all of the misdemeanor crimes, and there are hundreds of them, uh, come before me, which could range from shoplifting to hitting someone, committing assault, to minor drug offenses, uh, driving uh, while intoxicated, what we call DUIs. Uh, I've had cases of people shooting deer on the Air Force property. I mean, I've had a wide, wide range of of cases. And then we have a large um, Veterans Administration hospital here as well. So all the misdemeanor crimes that come out of the VA, uh, I I hear as well. And then uh, in addition to that, I hear a a large number of Social Security Disability Benefits Appeals. So... um, if you apply for social security and to, and you're it's not retirement social security, the kind of social security where you ask to be found disabled because you can't work. Right. Uh, there are all those appeals for the folks that are that are turned down and then they uh, they're appealing and saying that you know the Social Security administration made a mistake. So uh, those are very lengthy, very complicated appeals. We hear about one a week. It's a wow. large number on our document. And then the civil cases, I basically anything that can come into federal court I hear, if the parties consent to me meaning both sides agree that uh, I will be the judge on all aspects of the case then I hear the trial and do everything in the case if the cases where they don't consent then I will have a smaller role and supervise their discovery which means to make sure that they're sharing uh documents back and forth and whatever scheduling issues they have uh are being worked out with regard to sharing information and discovery but a lot of folks consent to me which is a you know it's a nice compliment and so I have a very large uh, large Consent docket. and then something else we started in the past year or two, which relates back to the um, to veterans cases. Uh, we started a Veterans Treatment Court here.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I think we're the I think we're the only one in the federal system in the state of Ohio at this point. I could be wrong. I think we're one of the first ten in the country. So if you're a veteran, you're charged with a crime, which could be disorderly conduct or, or sneaking something onto the uh, onto the to the VA hospital, such as a liquor or something like that okay uh and you come before me you're charged with a crime you can voluntarily elect to go into this treatment court and the treatment court is an attempt to get the veterans the treatment that they need and put them in a better place quite frankly and uh it's been successful we had almost 50 uh, 50 veterans graduate from the program wow we started off with veterans who had Post-traumatic stress syndrome (PTSD), sure. And now we've moved on to veterans who not only have PTSD but, quite frankly, have opioid and heroin addictions. And so,
0: right.
1: we're trying to get some treatment. Where we've been real successful. I had a veteran a couple of months ago who had had to go through Narcan uh, three times in one month. So he wow. almost died three times. And then he came to the Veterans Treatment Court and basically said, Judge Newman, I'm done. I, I. I'm begging for help. I've hit a roadblock in life. I almost died three times this month. I, I need treatment. I admit it. And we got him treatment. We got him to go into inpatient treatment, and he's a different person today. So that's, that's just – to do that, that makes, that makes you feel like the system's working. and It's all worthwhile. And at the end of that process, if you come for six months in front of me and you do what we ask you to do, and uh, also we have social workers here from the VA making sure you're going to get the medical and drug treatment you need – if you do all that, your your criminal charges are dismissed. So it's okay. kind of a, it, it's a win-win for everybody. The veterans win because they get treatment. Sure, They don't have a criminal record. Uh, the VA wins because they get folks in the treatment who otherwise maybe wouldn't have gone into treatment. I think society benefits. And from the court's perspective, I had started to see the same veterans come time and time again on the criminal docket. And this is a way of really making sure that people are getting the, the treatment they need. So that's a, that's a, that's another thing we do, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that effort
0: no i I think that's really great, man that's that's really great. so you have this really cool kind of innovative um, outreach program for young people and it was kind of the 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 one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on the show. so what exactly is it and kind of how why did you decide to get involved with it?
1: Sure so uh here's the program. I I was the last year I was national president of the federal bar association. Okay. And we call the the FBA and the FBA is about 20,000 lawyers and judges throughout the United States who Uh practice in federal courts, appear in the federal courts. So basically if you're a lawyer or judge in the federal court system in America, you're going to be involved in the, in the FBA. So um, we have 1500 federal judges who are members. And then, uh, you know about uh, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen thousand um, uh, practitioners, government lawyers and and, and um and the private sector lawyers. Gotcha. And so it just became uh, apparent to us that uh, it, that really there was a civics issue in America where the lawyers themselves, the judges knew about how the court system works. but I don't think young people knew as much as we did. and and then the question is, well, gosh, how do we? how do we get the word down to young people about how the system works and that this is um, from a career option this is something important that you might want to do with your life well coincidentally we had a conversation with jim duff jim is the director of the administrative office of the u.s courts he's uh, in washington dc is appointed directly by the chief justice of the united states jim's a wonderful person i held in very very high regard and at the same time we were thinking this jim came to the the leadership of the fba he said you know we really should start a national civics program would you consider doing it and we all said that's funny because it's something that we've been thinking about as well so with the with the ao's blessing and that's the administrative part of the federal courts we started this uh the civics effort and we started it from scratch okay uh we 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 had to figure out how what what the plan should be what we should do and uh, Jim asked me to go meet with Rebecca Fanning
0: at AO, who
1: is the, the civics outreach manager for the whole court system in the country. Rebecca is another person I hold in very, very high regard. And Rebecca had written lots of lots of uh, uh, programs for judges to meet with young people. And it it seemed to me that part of the issue was we just had to get those materials in the hands of judges and in the hands of young people. There had been lots of efforts for young people on field trips to Washington, D.C., to do some of these efforts and and to meet with federal judges, for example, a mock sentencing scenario where a student would pretend to have, you know, started a forest fire. So they're in federal court being prosecuted for that crime. And then the judge has to decide what's the appropriate sentence. And so you would have a student acting as the criminal defendant. You'd have another student acting as the prosecutor explaining what sentence they should get. You'd have another student acting as the public defender. and Then you'd have other students you know, maybe deciding innocence or guilt, and then talking to the judge about what the proper sentence should be—all like in a mock, in a mock, uh, a mock scenario. Well, those those scenarios had been done in Washington, but they really hadn't been done elsewhere in the United States. So we took all those materials that Rebecca had written, we put them on the FBA's website, which is where they still are today. So if anybody's interested, and I hope you are, you can go to www.fedbar.org/civic. So it's dot org slash civics. And there you'll find so many civics materials uh, for judges and lawyers, quite frankly, to, to, to do with young people.
0: That's very So cool.
1: we took those materials, we put them on the website, and then last year when I was president, I went around the country meeting with judges and, and talking to judges and emailing judges and phone-calling judges just to say, Would you please consider meeting with young people? I think you're going to find it really beneficial. And this fascinating thing happened, Kevin. The program took off way beyond our wildest dreams. That's really great. Almost immediately, we were just getting people excited about it, just a little bit, and then it just took off. So you could tell that the need was there. Jim Duck was right. Rebecca Fanning was right. There was an incredible need. Uh, The students loved it. The judges loved it. And what happened was we ended up last year meeting with 10,000 kids across the country. So uh,
0: that's really great.
1: Sometimes elementary, yeah, sometimes elementary school, sometimes middle school, sometimes high school, but 10,000 kids. No bar association, to my knowledge, had ever done a program of that of that magnitude about civics. I mean, it's just it was incredible, to be honest with you. And we're, we're doing it again this year. We're going to keep doing it. Uh, it's growing by numbers and uh, leaps and bounds again this year. We're going to go far beyond the, the 10,000 uh, number. And the judges will report back to me and say, you know, uh, uh, Judge Newman, when I met with young people, I had no idea if they would like it. They loved it. And you could just tell by the look in their eyes that they were just, they were so excited. And this is how they actually see. This is how a trial works. This is how mediation works. This is how a, an oral argument before a judge works. And so we we were very creative uh, Kevin, and we decided we would set it up by how much time. A judge has to spend with young people. So if it's a half an hour, we'll do a short program. If it's okay. an hour, two hours, three hours, we'll do a much longer program where young people get up and actually get to get to argue a, a, a case in front of a judge. You know, a, a pretend case, but actually sure. argue in front of a real live judge. And then in some instances where because of financial reasons or logistics or whatever, that kids couldn't come to the courthouse. Wow we encourage judges to go to the children. So in many cases, I got in my car, along with other judges here in Ohio, and we drove out to the schools. And I was in Charleston, South Carolina last year in January, and there it was hard for the the young people to get to the courthouse. So the judges and I got in cars and drove to them and spent a day at a middle school and a high school just talking about the court system. And what I found is uh, many young people have never met a lawyer. Sure. They certainly not met a judge. They don't know how the court system works. Uh, they were really excited to hear firsthand how the process actually goes about working. And then they had questions like, Well, okay, Judge Newman, how are you fair every day? How hard is it to be fair? And what do you do if you have a have a conflict? And what do you do if you have a case where you, you the law is really complicated? Do you have enough time to go off and prep? And how does that all work? So just the just the background details of, of actually the day-to-day workings of being a judge and ensuring fairness and due process, they they wanted to hear all that. And my goodness, I was honored to honored to explain all that to them. The only thing I'll say, Kevin, and just leave you with this one, one sure. final thought about the program, many of the young people had never thought about being a lawyer or ever thought about being a judge before. And so to me, an added benefit, an added bonus was, you get to talk to young people about queer options. And I'll tell you, when I was younger, I don't know what your childhood was like, but, you know, I told you I grew up in a small town. Yeah. With all due respect, there just weren't lots of people to talk to. I, I didn't have mentors when I was a kid. And so to try to be an example to young people or hopefully to be a mentor to young people. Uh, to talk to them about, you know, hey, if you're eighteen years old or younger and you don't know what to do yet with your life, it's okay because I certainly didn't know what I wanted to do when I was that age.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, but to expose them to career options and different things they can do with their life, that's a huge that's a huge added bonus of this program. But something quite frankly when we started doing it, it didn't even occur to me that, that would be that would be such a bonus. And now I think what's happened is and I've talked a lot to lots of judges around the country about this, collectively, I think we feel like we're educating the next generation of lawyers and hopefully judges in America. And, uh, you know, that 10,000 number of kids, that's a large number of kids. I think some significant portion of those kids are going to be lawyers. Hopefully some of them will be judges and hopefully you've, you've ignited a spark in them and gotten them excited about, about that process. I just, you know, that, that makes me happy at the end of the day.
0: No, sure. I, I think the thing that's interesting about kind of what you guys are doing is I think at least in my experience kind of growing up until you maybe get older and you actually start, maybe you buy your first house or, or something like that, like that might be your first experience with kind of a lawyer. And I get that it's unless maybe you were in trouble younger on, but like a lot of times, maybe your a perception of what a lawyer or judge is, is from TV. Right. And that might yeah. be good. That might be bad. That might be somewhere in the middle of that. But like it's, it, it could be like that. It could not be like that. Like I always say, like I, I watch suits, right. And, and, and to sure. you, you might be like, well, it's not like that at all. Or, or some of the stuff is like that some of the time, but like, obviously it's written for, for TV and it's probably, you know, way more out there than, than in reality, but some people see it like that. So I think just for somebody like yourself and all the other people involved in, in what you guys are doing, just to actually get in front of people and, And kind of break it down to how it kind of actually is and inspire people to actually go into that field. Because to your point, like you're eventually you'll you'll retire and you'll need somebody to take your spot. Right. And so I think just being able to pass that on and and you mentioned earlier in the show, you had a couple really good mentors that were judges before you became a judge like the next generation coming up needs people like you to to give it back, right? Because you got it. So I think that's really great. But I am curious. Well, no, go ahead. Sorry. I'll... No, just that I was going to say, I agree with you
1: 100%. And I, just a quick follow-up. Mm-hmm. One of the things that young people, I don't, I don't think, realize is that so many civil cases, not the criminal ones, but the civil cases, are resolved today through a process we call mediation, sure. where judges actually meet with both parties And kind of go back and forth, uh, you know, meeting with one side and then meeting with the other side. And I'll spend a day or sometimes days working with folks to resolve a a complicated civil case. And I think if you watch TV, you think, oh, everything goes to trial. Here, at least in front of me in Ohio, uh, many, many more cases are mediated rather than actually tried on the civil side. So that's a perfect example of if you didn't meet a judge, how would you know that? How could you possibly know
0: no, I, I, yeah, totally. So I'm curious though, how do you kind of, I I know at least in, in my experience, like the legal kind of industry isn't really known for, for being the most kind of like technical, technically advanced industry from kind of a software perspective, at least up in Canada, it's kind of, I think it's a little behind. Is it mm-hmm. similar to that in, in kind of your experience and, and. Are you guys kind of embracing technology? Is it harder to kind of adapt? Or are you maybe worried that it's going to maybe take out some of the jobs coming up? Or or what are your thoughts on kind of the technology in the legal kind of space?
1: Well, that's fascinating. So uh, as a judge, I don't deal very much with technology. Okay. Uh, of course, I do email. And, uh, uh, but what I do find is... Very few people call me anymore. Uh, uh, everything seems to be email. But when I was a, when I was in a, a law firm some years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I think technology was is uh, was very, very prevalent and it remains very, very prevalent uh, for for many years. Lawyers would do things, you know, look at boxes of documents and pieces of paper. Sure. And now they have very, very, very involved systems to uh, do all these searches electronically. And look at you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of emails and documents fairly quickly and that's become developed really into a, a whole industry and uh it's called electronically stored information esi
0: okay and
1: i sometimes will get disputes about uh, about that where folks will say well the cost of this is overwhelming or the burden of doing this uh, search uh you know is not proportional to the to the complexity or the nature of the case so i do have to decide issues like that but as a judge I don't think I'm as involved in technology as much as I was when I was a lawyer. As a lawyer, I was I was very involved with it.
0: Sure. No, that's interesting. Yeah, like I'm always curious because, you know, it like some industries are, are more scared of of it than others. And I think at the end of the day, there's we're I don't even know if we're ever going to be at a point where you like you need a, like a human being to make some of these calls, right? Like you can't make. Sure. A computer or artificial intelligence, or we're so far away from that where it's even comprehensible that you know we need somebody like yourself, especially to meet with multiple sides, and and I'm assuming that kind of based on even just the law of the state or federally or based on whatever the case is. Like, there's so many factors that you need to consider when you're making you know your final judgment. Is that fair to say?
1: Totally true, Kevin. So I will I will tell you this is this is really interesting discussion that we could probably spend just this part of it spend all day talking about. And I'll tell you why. Because okay. I think to make proper legal decisions, there's so many factors that go into you have to follow the law. And I might even suggest that's just the beginning of the process. Okay, You've got to think about when you write the decision, uh, you know, how narrowly tailored is your language going to be? And you've got to think like, okay, if I, if I say something, that's just not super narrow to this case, Will this come back to haunt me and, and future decisions, or will this have some unintended effect that that I didn't even think about at the time that I wrote it? So, trying to be super careful about that, I think, is very important. And then I think also your life experience in, as a lawyer, as a judge, as a human being, certainly, certainly weighs into uh, into the way into the decisions that that you make, and it has to. And then I think when you have more life experiences, you can just see you have a better sense of compassion, quite frankly, for the kinds of issues, the kinds of cases that you're seeing and what the law was designed to prevent or prohibit. And you just, I think that, that all goes into, all goes into the decision-making process. So, so in my case, uh, you know, I, I take the decision-making process very seriously. I've been a judge for close to seven years. I've never been reversed in that seven-year process. That's something I'm I'm really proud of. Uh, But that, I think that's a, reflection of the fact that i do take it so seriously and i and i think about these cases a lot you know some people uh some judges they may be able to uh to turn it off or shut it off when they leave i don't know this it's a good thing or bad thing kevin but but i think about these cases all the time um quite frankly they weigh on you you know what i mean if you're a person with a conscience and you want to be sure you're following the law and doing the right thing um and you also have the sense of the court as an institution uh, that after long after work on when the when the next generation of young people who are hopefully training will come in to, to be the next generation of lawyers or judges you want the institution to still be here and have the same respect and the same dignity so I I feel I feel it's a sense of a burden quite frankly in a good way but a sense of a burden that you want to make sure you're making good decisions making them fairly properly under the law I also believe very strongly in due process and giving people a chance to to speak and be heard and make arguments in front of you. Um, and you want to do all those things properly and and justly and fairly. And that, if you take that really seriously, it's, uh, it's hard, but I think it's, I think it's important. That's how the system is supposed to work.
0: Sure. So how often, I I know the law kind of changes all the time, but how often are you kind of having to learn kind of the new changes? Like, is it quarterly a couple times a year? Like, or does it really depend on kind of the the up and coming cases that you're going to work on?
1: Right. So we get in the in our court we get daily emails from cases that have been decided by the higher court. So I'm at the trial court. Okay. Here so we call we call it the district court, but so there's above me is a court of appeals. I I'm in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and of course. Above that is the uh, is the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. So I follow that case law pretty carefully. We get emails every day, here's new cases that have been decided and then additionally we have an organization that's part of the court system called the Federal Judicial Center, the FJC, and you have an opportunity as a federal judge to go to FJC seminars periodically and at least once a year and learn about changes in the law and updates to the law and I think you have to do that quite frankly. I, I think you just have to do that just to keep up on the law. The law Changes it doesn't change super quickly, but it changes pretty quickly, and I think it's more nuanced changes. So if you're, for example, if you're if you're doing employment law, uh, you know there's there's changes I think all the time in employment law in sure. cases that will make the law subtly go in this direction or in a different direction, and you want to you want to pay attention to that, of course. And then we have two two research services here available to us as judges: uh, Lexis and Westlaw. And before we issue any decision, we're always looking at Lexis and Westlaw. What's the law? What's the controlling law? What's, what have what judges been saying about this particular issue? Um, you know, is there one or more cases that absolutely decide an issue? Or is this an issue that's, that's more, uh, has discretion to the court? And so we, I research everything from scratch. I mean, we get briefs telling us what the law is according to the lawyers, but then I take that as a starting point. And then I do my own case law research to, to to find out from what I think the law, what I think the law is.
0: Sure. So there's a lot more that kind of goes on when you're not meeting with, you know, like why you're either not in court or you're not mediating. Like you're doing a lot of stuff kind of behind the scenes. Maybe it's just you and doing research. Fair to say.
1: Correct. So and I yes yeah, so. Uh, as a magistrate judge, I have two lawyers. Uh, they're called law clerks, but they're really staff attorneys. Um, okay. and, uh, who are able to assist me, and uh, along with me, you know, all the hours of the day that they're here, we work pretty late in the evening. We're researching the law, we're reading motions, we're reading briefs, um, and they're very. I think that's a that's a very very important role they play. I was a law clerk myself, as we talked about earlier in the right. conversation. Uh, and I think that's it's, uh, it, it's the system. I think just couldn't function without without law clerks who are there to uh, to help you. And uh, so I have what's called a career law clerk and a term law clerk. The career law clerk uh, is here. Uh, Mike Reinhardt is his name, and he's here uh, permanently with me. Okay. And then the term law clerk changes every couple of years, um, so that's typically, at least in my case, uh, uh, someone who's more recent graduate from uh, from a law school. And uh, but. We also follow up with email. So, so my law clerk and I, we're, we email, you know, late in the evening a lot of times about a case or what happened uh, that day and what we're thinking about doing uh, on a particular motion or particular uh, dispute. We do take that real seriously, and it's one of those things where you think the workload's uh, the workload's never done. I, mm-hmm. I will tell sure. you this: that when when I was a when I was a lawyer, one thing I think clients used to really frustrate them so much is why does it take so long for cases to be decided in the federal court system and the state court system, and then why is the process so expensive? So when I get to be a a judge, those are the two things I really focused on, trying to move cases along efficiently, you know, under the law, of course, and then um, also trying to make the process less expensive. So on the civil side of cases, Kevin, um, I meet with lawyers all the time, but but what I typically do, I typically do by telephone. Okay. And I don't make people come to in Ohio, because in the federal court where I am, I may have a lawyer here from Ohio, but the opposing lawyer could be from New York City, California, right. Washington, and I'm thinking to have that person fly here for even an hour long conference. That's a lot of time and a lot of expense, and so we try to do as much as we can by the telephone.
0: Gotcha. And I,
1: I that uh, I do that to try to to make the litigation process less expensive. And then in addition to that. Um, I pretty frequently, uh, maybe every 60 days or so, call lawyers just to check in and see where are you, how's the How's the case moving along, how's the discovery process, uh, what issues do you have, what concerns do you have. So typically you see lawyers pick up the phone and call on the judge. I will schedule these calls in advance and try to monitor the cases and just to let the lawyers know that I have an interest in these cases. I want them to move along quickly and I'll tell the lawyers, I want this process not to drag along. I want to be efficient. Uh, Cause I think that's what, that's what the clients want. I think on both sides. And I think that's what the, how the process should work. So I, I do take that role real seriously.
0: No, I think that's really great, man. So I'm, I'm, we're kind of coming close to the end of the show, but I really want to get your kind of thoughts on what advice do you kind of give people that either want to be a lawyer and maybe go into being a judge one day like what advice do you kind of give to them when they've kind of decided yeah I want I want to get into law I want to maybe be a judge one day what would you tell them
1: well one one very simple thing I would say is find a mentor so if the mentor if you know a, a local lawyer or judge in your part of the of the country find that person and approach them and say can I job shadow you for a day okay can I go to do? Can I pick your brain? Can I watch what you do? And most lawyers and judges I know are honored and flattered and humbled by such requests, and of course they'd say yes. I say requests like that all the time. So that's one thing: job shadow with somebody and somebody and get a mentor. And the second thing I would I would suggest people do is um, have an open mind about what options are out there. There's so many options in the in the legal world. I mean, for example, in the court system, if you have a law degree, not only can you be a lawyer or judge but you could work for pre services in the federal system who decides bonds. You could work for the probation department. You could go work for a law enforcement agency like the FBI or the DEA. There's so many different things you could do. And I, the other advice I'd have is just have an open mind about what options are out there. And then the last thing I'd say is the judges that I know in the country uh, are are generally just good people. They're people who, who would be honored to open the courthouse. And the courthouse is in America, it's open. I mean, it's open to the public. And we encourage younger people to come and watch proceedings. So don't be afraid. Pick up the phone, email or call a judge's chambers, and say, you know, I'm in high school or college and I'm thinking about law school. Can I come and watch? And every judge that I've ever met would say, my goodness, of course, it's public. Please do so. And then most judges I know will take time after to meet with you and chat with you, and of course they can't say anything that's confidential. But sure. the things that you saw saw in the hearing or the trial, they're allowed to talk about that, and they're allowed to talk about the process. And stuff, may may wait till the hearing of the trial is over for them to 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 tell you more things. But but you should take advantage of those opportunities. And uh, uh, the judges that I know would be honored to have young people come and watch. And that's part of this set of bar association effort to make it. Clear to the next generation that the federal courthouses are open. They're open to the public. We encourage you to come. We encourage you to watch. We encourage you to, to, uh, to you know, to try to start having a relationship with, with judges and lawyers, and, and to, to train the next generation of young people, but also to let the next generation know these are career options that are out there that exist for you, and your life really can have a purpose and to be able to follow the law and be fair and do and process every day. That's 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 significant.
0: Sure. No, I, I, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think it's, it's always kind of fascinating because I think it's almost you, like, I think people maybe come, could be like almost intimidated by somebody that's like a lawyer or judge just because of like, just because of kind of what you do. And I, and I kind of think that hopefully maybe having you on the show could maybe change some of his opinion of that. Right. And, and to your point a few, a few minutes ago about just like reaching out to somebody like yourself to come see and come be available and kind of actually that you guys are heavily giving back to the community and you're open to having people come in and, and see if this a career path that they want to go down, I think is really great.
1: So I'll tell you, Kevin, I, I go so far out of my way to try to demystify the process sure. and try to let people know that I'm not scary. There, I'm sure there's other judges in the world that are scary. I get all that, but but I think for for my role in 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 the Federal Bar Association and in, and in the legal world, yeah, I think it's important to know that. Okay, yes, there are times in court you got to be scary. I get sure. that. I respect yep. that, I am that way But for the most part, when you're when you're meeting with young people and you're trying to get them to come into the courthouse and make them realize what this process is about it doesn't serve anyone's purpose by being scary so i don't sure. think that's the. i try to be really open and really approachable and um i just i i think that's a good way to go through your life
0: no i 100 percent agree man but we're coming to the end of the show so let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about all the stuff that you talked about throughout the show
1: sure so it's the the Federal Bar Association, so it's www.fedbar.org, slash civics. So fedbar.org slash civics. That's where you can find all the civics materials we've been talking about. And the Bar Association is also doing, in the month of April, a national community outreach project, what we call N-C-O-P. On the main uh, page of the Federal Bar Association, fedbar.org, you'll find more information about that program. Which is a month-long effort to reach out to young people, get them into federal courthouses, uh, have them meet federal judges—the same kind of stuff we've been talking about today—but we really ramp it up in the in the month of April to try to do a, a special focus uh, during that month. So, Kevin, it's been—I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. It's been an honor chatting with you, and uh, I'm delighted to to get the word out about these different programs we've been doing.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be actually on the show and talk about this stuff. I, I think it's really great. Um, You know, I really appreciate you doing it and uh, have a good rest of your day and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.